Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. It may not be the Mayan apocalypse, but Graham McMillan and Jeff Lester give episode 109 everything they've got anyway. Yes, today we answer questions from listeners asked via the Savage Critic website and from Twitter. Topics include the worst Avenger to get a gift from, our dream team for D-Man, the fate of Karen Berger, Stephanie Brown and the Scarlet Witch, Apple Pies and Apple Pies, Avengers number 1, Stumptown number 4, Amazing Spider-Man 799, and the proverbial much, much more. It's almost exactly two hours of funny book babble on, and as always, we thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Jeff Blister. Graham McMillan, hello. Happy holidays. Uh, happy holidays for this, the second last Wait What of 2012. Hmm. And let's face it, if it is going to be the end of the world, the second last Wait What ever. Wow. Wow. As always, you're blowing my mind. You know, I have to say, maybe this is just me being, like, old, but I... I <laughs> But I don't think the world's going to end. Yeah, you know, like, I'm kind of like, that's not going to happen. And the thing that's amazing is is that, like, I don't know, like, I remember back when, I don't know, what what was the last one, really? Pretty much sort of the whole Y2K, New Millennium, people yes, using their shit exactly. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, I remember being, like, just a little bit like, well, but maybe, you know what I mean? And this one, I'm just like, this is why I, I just... I, not. Did you really have? Did you really have a maybe? Yeah, the Y2K. Kinda, you know, this, really? this is one of the sad things. Well, not so much in the sense of like, oh my god, all the computers are going to go down and things are going to die. But people were doing an amazing job, like misquoting Nostradamus, and people were just freaking the fuck out. And I don't know. You know, I've got this that, weird. That, that's yeah. my favorite thing about this uh, 2012 stuff. Because here's the thing. Kate doesn't believe the 2012 stuff, but she's enough freaked out about it. Right. See, if that makes sense. Right. Where no. she's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it's clearly ridiculous. However. Yeah. And so I, I have like a, a side career of basically poking holes in all the theories. Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, there's the fact that the Mayan thing is apparently like mistranslated or misunderstood and has nothing to do with the end of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, NASA did a press conference last weekend. Did you, did you see this? NASA had a press conference where they had scientists basically being like, there's no meteors around, there's no planets heading her way. Right. If something is going to crash into us, it's going to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. nothing vaguely close to us. You can right. all calm down. Um, and I was listening to. God, what was he listening to? I think it was possibly a Grant Morrison uh, thing from uh, New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. where someone's like, "Time wave zero, man," and he was like, "Yeah, you know that Terrence McKenna fucked his own math up with that, right?" <laughs> Apparently, like it's it's since come out that that's not true, mm-hmm. that, that's never been true, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that it doesn't correlate to anything. No, absolutely, I totally, I get it, and you know, <laughs> honestly, there are things like, uh, like our climate change that people really we should be freaking the fuck out like we should genuinely like if people if we had to take a vote on what to freak the fuck out about i would say that some of the statistics you know where they have people saying like well okay so it looks like we're not going to be able to you know get our act together in time to you know stop a four degree increase let's see if we can stop a six degree increase because really that will be unbelievably cataclysmic if that happens you know 
And I'm, I'm like, this is a thing I could actually do. I could actually walk around and like unplug the plugs and, you know, that aren't being used. And I don't know, you know, knit, knit myself a comfy little tinfoil hat, like something, you know. And instead, I'm spending a lot of time going, huh, Mayan apocalypse. I wonder. This zombie survival kit looks like it says it has enough food for like three days, but is that like a regular person three days, or is that like a fat person three days? Yeah, like you're like what if I'm really stress eating? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I'm when aren't you going this? to stress eat in that sort yeah, of situation? Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. And what's that's it? So I, you know, like I, so. But this year is the first year where, despite, like, all I need is more than four people telling me something bad is going to happen, and I more or less believe it. And this is the first well, year. Well, that's because 2012 has been a year of shit, right? I, <laughs> well, it's our holiday wrap-up introduction here. <laughs> no, but I mean that in the sense of, like, I and the people I love have been through hell in 2012 in such just an unending torrent of personal shit and drama. Right. And it's, it's happened to so many people I know that it's like being the weird cosmic year where everyone's life just gets shitty. Yeah. It's, uh, well, yes. I mean, the thing is, is that... <sighs> like, at this point, I'm ready to believe four people telling me something bad's going to happen because I've just... I'm, I've been beaten down to the point where I'm like, of right. course something terrible's going to happen. Have you seen what's happened this year? <laughs> it's true. Well, you did have a pretty tough year, but at, at the risk, actually, of raising everyone's ire, um, despite the fact that I'm still behind the eight ball and, and tearing my own hair out, what little there is of it left, this was not such a shit year for me personally. Like, I would have to think back on it and I don't know, maybe I'm just like a, a glasses half full kind of guy, but despite the fact I threw my back out like two or three times and was just like stupid on muscle relaxants. Um, Those are know, the high points. Yeah, well, yeah, well there, was, <laughs> there was something to be said for Tylenol with those, Cody. Those are the high points so, yeah. for us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, see, but then, the, so, but the rest of my time is pretty much like I still have my job, I still have my wife, you know. We're still podcasting. I've still been working on this project and feeling relatively productive. In fact, if I can wrap up everything that I'm trying to wrap up by the end of the year, it's going to be like, wow, that was like I got a lot done and also sort of managed to keep myself, I don't know, just sort of, Say it you know? Together. Yeah. So, but but by contrast, if we're going to talk about your year, I can totally see where you would be like, yeah, of but course. It's, but it's it's not just me. Well, that's we, it. We, mm-hmm. you know, we have other friends who have had equally bad or worse years. Right. I don't know. I just I, I feel like 2012 has been this weird, weird year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, I, I, it's, that's not what you. That's not what you tune into this podcast to hear. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you you tune into this podcast to hear about the four types that Brian Bendis writes. Yeah. Okay. So because people have really been asking, do the four types, Jeff. How did I get nailed in? Okay. Because you were the one who brought it up. I thought you were the one who brought it up. It's all you, my friend. Oh, man. All right. Well, okay. First off, I'm probably fucked. I will say in advance that (laughs) Brian Bendis probably has more than four types, and I was probably using that as a relatively humorous shorthand to suggest that Bendis' wide range of character voices is not especially wide. Well, I have to ask, did you read all new X-Men this week? Yes, I did. All new X Men number three. I did, and oh, Frost's dialogue, Jeff. What happened with that? What, what? What was that? I, I 
Emmerfrost dialogue is one of those things where you're like, huh, so the editor just decided not to step in here. No, because, well, yeah. and this isn't even a, uh, where are the editors? You know, <laughs> table thump. It's uh, the character who has always been like well known for her faux Englishness mm-hmm. is now dropping her ends and calling people fellas. Yeah, the fellas. I, I kind of thought that. I, I mean, it was. Yeah, I'm so... thinking maybe you and I shouldn't be around each other anymore. What? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, I, I, that's what, I genuinely can't believe the editor wasn't like, you know, Brian, that's a great line for anyone else, but for this particular character. Oh, yeah. Who has always been based around the fact that she has a very particular affectation. <laughs> right. She has an affectation of. of uh you know, almost excessive world worldliness, you know, and sort of playing up the professor headmistress thing, you know. Uh, yeah, and instead he kind of wrote her, and it, it was almost like he was like, okay, I got this very specific idea of a British person that I'm thinking of, and it just happens to be like one of the members of Friday Night Lights. And they're like, they're all from Texas. And then, no, 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 just trust me here. Because it really was the weird, most southern-y, uh, slangish uh, Emma Frost. Wasn't that su- such a weird... I mean, that, that whole issue was It was so was bizarre. It was so out of character that you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. yeah. And in fact, that entire scene is really weird. The whole, we can't control our powers. And this happens before... We controlled our powers in issue one, right. but, you know, I don't know. We learned to control our powers again, which kind of, what's the point of the scene? <sighs> no, there's this weird, like, our powers are giving out, it must be this. And then, and Magic's like, no, I'm fine. Meanwhile, Beast is supposedly dying, and I haven't read the AVX thing, but I'm like, maybe it's some other, I don't know. I mean, I found, I found... Uh, all new X Men number three, in part because I skipped two, but I just found it kind of uh, bewildering. Um, I, I would probably have to open it up to try and because believe me, if it wasn't for Avengers number one, which I found even more bewildering, it would have been very. I think I probably would have read all new X Men like a few extra times, I suppose, to try. Oh, and... I, I read Avengers like five times. Oh, thank God! I read it like three times, going like. <laughs> I, I, Avengers is. Is chapter 7 million of, hey, you kids sure like Jonathan Hickman. I wish I could work out why. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was, I really had to, I spent a lot of time with uh, that issue, it felt like. Because I was kind of like, I, you know, it's that weird, like, somebody takes everything that you like and puts it together, and then you're like, yeah, but no, but I don't like that or or even better like you know when you uh maybe you haven't done this but like in japan town they have a, a restaurant that serves japanese versions of american food so you know it's like japanese pizza it's like a, a japanese recreation of a hamburger um and they're just deeply fucked up things like it's like okay i understand this is a slice of pizza i'm not quite sure why there's corn on it but you know but i'm gonna go with this you know and there's this uh i felt with avengers number one i was like okay a to give this the most generous um amount of the benefit of the doubt that i can avengers number one really felt like a a kind of um the world's most epic airbrushing of like a turdy old Stan Lee story. You know what I mean? Like I really kind of felt like Hickman 
was doing something that was very much like, okay, I'm taking the stuff that I loved about Marvel or alternately the stuff everyone says they love about Marvel and I'm really going to bring it. I mean, I'm really going to bring it. And did some stuff and kind of was like, yeah, these are things that I dig. Like, I'm a little more in the, the like, I like the high evolutionary stuff. Like, all of it kind of reminded me of, like, a high evolutionary Hulk story, you know, uh, maybe drawn by like Marie Severin or something, except you had Jerome Opinia just doing these on the one hand, sort of lovely drawings. And on the other hand, like completely, utterly weirdly wrong for the characters. It, it was very weirdly. Jerome Opinia does like a great heavy metal Avengers, mm-hmm. but I don't think heavy metal Avengers is necessarily two things that really goes together well for me. Well, yeah, I think I think the problem was the way it was set up in this issue is the closer you got to the heavy metal side of things, some parts of it were literally awesome. And like that big whole like absurdly pretentious opening was was fun. I mean, it was fun. I, I, I loved the opening. The yeah, opening they, was like, pretty much as soon as you got out of the opening. Yeah, then you were. Because uh, the opening, I was really like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, balls, as ambitious, as ballsy. He's yeah. really trying to set himself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, like, pretty much as soon as I got to the double page spread, which is the title, like he's done for all of his comics so far, mm-hmm. in the same typeface as he's done for all of his comics, <laughs> with the same design that he's done for all of his comics, <laughs> I was like, huh. Okay, and then it immediately cut to the alien bad guys who might not be bad guys, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bored in the same way I'm bored when Rick Remender does it." Right. Well, see, this is my my thing was uh, I just had a weird fundamental. We jumped in different directions, you know, which is like I appreciate that on the one hand, Hickman again, seems to be doing... I should be so in line with this because Hickman is totally, like, looking at... trying to be, excuse me, the anti-Bendis in many ways, Mm -hmm. I feel, and I I do appreciate that. You know, he tried to jam so much into this first issue, and yet, because of the way that it just gets all jammed in, there's, like, one or two real crucial parts that are... I, I just find it really okay. Uh, first, there are the villains on Mars, which feel sort of strangely kind of warmed over and half familiar, but kind of not in the right way. If you kind of get my feeling, like there's kind of that weird, like um, it, it's going to sound completely heathenish to say, but it was just kind of like I was like, man, I sure wish like Ron Friends was drawing this or something. You know what I mean? Like I was well, like, it's, it's the villains really struck me as like Defenders villains if that makes sense but like David Kraft's Defenders villains oh interesting yeah I you know and that's normally a plus for me I suppose would be a plus for me but just it was that weird like first yeah there's just something that's there's underwhelming about every one of those characters and that was the thing that I thought was interesting is rather than having somebody who's going to give you a bit of the bombast even just recycled Kirby bombast it was like there's like a guy in a yellow lycra jumpsuit there is you know a robot that looks like it's from my Star Wars action figure collection and uh, there's bubble woman 
you know? And I was just, none of it really made that strong an impression on me in the first place. The second place is, again, for someone who appreciates, like, back in the day, you know, it seemed like you always kind of had these struggles between heroes and villains who were actually just kind of misunderstood. Like, if you weren't going with Doc Doom, you know, you were getting that high evolutionary, like, why don't you understand me? I'm, you know, my speech patterns are so rot kind of thing. Um, And... I don't know. They somehow would be, it would just be somehow laid out in a way that would feel more elegant to me. Like in this one, these guys don't look especially impressive. They have apparently terraformed Mars. The Avengers land on the planet and are basically like, we have to kick the shit out of them because they, you know, turn two of because our planets. Because we have to kick the shit out of them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Did you not feel that the book missed a scene? Oh, which it- is the part where they go on about the first two bombs that hit Earth, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I wanted to see that. Mm-hmm. Like I felt that the lack of that, the lack of the bombs hitting Earth and no one knowing what it means, and then the Avengers decide to respond. It's just that tough. that really like knocked me out mm-hmm. in terms of the the narrative. Yeah, it it it's, it's it felt far too rote. It felt too much like and the Avengers going after these guys because they're going after these guys because totally. that's the plot, you guys. Yeah, totally. Which is and it's one of those weird things where I'm like. Huh, these are not, I just had this weird, like, these aren't acting like the heroes that I think of when I think of the heroes. You know, I don't think of Marvel superheroes, I don't think of Captain America as like, hey, we're going to land on a planet and kick the shit out of these guys. And honestly, I don't know why I shouldn't think that, because that's pretty much how Avengers vs. X-Men gets powered. You know, it's like Captain America shows up and beats the shit, tries to beat the shit out of Cyclops and gets the whole ball rolling, you know, and it's... But to be fair, did you think that that really seemed like Captain America? Do you know no, what I mean? like, exactly. I totally like didn't. The yeah. version of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it, it's... It, it's. I'm kind of like part again. Part of me is like, if if Hickman is trying to suggest via Captain America that America is basically this country that starts the wrong fights and then t- you know absolutely is tenacious about not quitting them, I'm like, okay, uh, sure. I technically I probably agree with you, but that's kind of not what I want to see in this comic book. Really? So, yeah, I, I thought Avengers number one was, I kept looking at it going like, man, why don't, why don't I like this? And I do feel that that necessity of like, here's how we're going to start having the superheroes punch these guys so that we can get to the next crazy scene, which again, I was just like, the whole like, oh, ho, ho, let us fought, put him in the ship and fire him back to the planet to show him. I was like, wow, it just, it felt. Well, and also that. Like, it just missed scenes. Like, it's going from that to mm-hmm. then Captain America gets, like, another team together. Yes. And you're like, this team's more badass because it's got Spider-Woman and Spider-Man and the Falcon? Yeah. You know, it's like... Right. Uh, what? Yeah. I, I don't under I don't get it. Like, it, it, it just seems... Like, I understand he's leading up to the last page and the last page is, it's the Avengers again! Mm-hmm. You know, they're... they're They've taken a licking, but they're keep on ticking. You know what? But it just didn't work. Like, none of it worked. It all worked because the writer wanted it to work, as opposed to you read the story and you thought, this makes sense. I just realized something, Graham, which what? is a little off topic. You're like, what? I made a good point. Well, I, no, I, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I realized that between this book and the Uncanny uh, Avengers, like... Mm-hmm. Captain America is pretty much like he's 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 basically the Marvel editorial staff 
uh, fanfic insert, isn't he? Because you know what I mean? Like, all he does in these issues is like, well, it's time to get together a team. I've been thinking and I'm putting together a hell of a team. Oh, sure, nobody's really going to appreciate this team, but fuck the public. You know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, he's just like a Marvel editor. It's like, oh, all these guys are destroyed. Who's on my speed dial? Hmm, you know, I think I think I can get... Um, I think I can get Kano in to do a couple of fill-in issues now that Chris Samney's <laughs> off, you know? Like, that's really the weird thing that's going on. I don't know if it's going to continue that way, but I, I do love the idea that at issue four, like, Captain America's like, okay, so, okay, the first couple of teams are fucked up, but I got one more team that's just going to, uh, it's just going to blow your mind. Let me tell you, it's going to be Tigra and Monarch Starstalker and uh, Wood God um, and D-Man uh, and U.S. Agent and Venom. And the best part about it is all of them are allergic to gluten, which none of them knew. <laughs> Come on, gluten Avengers would be Gluten-free Avengers would be... Uh, I'll be on that book. Thank you. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to read any other Avengers book now. Uh, hey, Jeff! Bendis. Four bandits voices. Four bandits voices. <laughs> exactly. Go. Okay. So there's the voice of authority. There is the voice of the irreverent the voice wisecracker. Of or is that your authority voice? Yeah, that's my. Yeah, the voice of authority slash genius. Because okay. usually there's a point where they start saying that they do that thing of I am saying something that is very important. Kind of I thing. will repeat it. This yeah. is important. Yeah, exactly. point. Yeah. You have to point. listen to me. You have to. I actually love the listener who pointed out that I, I, you pointed out that Bendis has everyone say everything twice, which I replied to. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Which, I, God bless you, listener. I appreciated that so much. Uh, so the other two voices, if I had to choose, are basically the two voices, like basically it's like voice one and voice two, which is whenever any two people get together. And they are talking about stuff, and one of them is not the first voice or the second voice, or even sometimes if they are, when they get together, suddenly it's the bantering thing, you know? Wait, wait, wait. So voice one is authority, voice two is... Uh, ir- irreverent wise-ass. Okay. That's... And voice three and four are just generic banter? Well, which for for Bendis is sort of generic banter, but I think he has his sort of, you know, yeah, where they pick the same rhythms, where it's like one guy says something, and he's like, you mean, and then the guy interrupts him and says, no, I mean, blah, blah, blah. No, that's what I was going to say that. Yeah, no, I know. No, I, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Like, that last page where 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 Luke Cage and, and uh, Jessica are walking off, you know, and talking about... Oh, and Avengers, new, yeah. Heroes, yeah, and Avengers 34, and talking about forming a new uh, Heroes for Hire. I thought that page was pretty badly written. Like, even even by, uh, you know, it, it it felt like a bad Bendis imitation, rather than actually even Brian, bad Brian Bendis. There was something about toward the end there. He was like, come on! And she's like, no. And he's like, you know I love you. She's like, I know. You know, that kind of thing. I was like... Yeah, that's... Mm, it just doesn't really seem to have that kind of snap and crack that it used to. Anyway, so for what it's worth, it, I, I actually have spent a lot more time thinking about like the five types of voices that Stan Lee has, because that's the other thing that's actually a little dearer and ne- nearer and dearer to my heart, you know, in a way, in the sense of particularly since people learn to imitate those five voices you know, you had to do mm-hmm. the hothead and the voice of authority. And, you know, I mean, really, it's not necessarily that different. Um, 
It's just I feel that outside of the realm of the four, I think Bendis is really bad with writing, as far as I can tell. I mean, I don't read a lot of his stuff, but I, I thought his Doctor Doom was horrible. I find his, you know, his Submariner to be horrible. Like people who are supposed to be talking I, I find he's, formally. He's particularly weak when characters have established. Uh, very distinct. Oh, you mean like Emma Frost or Doctor Doom? Emma, or, yeah, but also yeah. Doctor Doom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or Namor. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like he he can't he he's unable to capture what are very easily um, parodied at least forms mm-hmm. of dialogue. Like he he sort of somehow does his version of the parody as opposed to the way the character talks. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for Emma Frost, which she doesn't even try at all. Like, the Emma Frost thing is so out there. Yeah. Yeah. He just really went with a very odd... I, I just don't know what he was... Well, I, like I said, I, I kind of felt like it sort of feels like someone who was watching, like, some sh- like a show on the BBC and was like, oh, yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have them talk like that person. You know, and it's like except it doesn't even seem like anyone from the BBC. It's I don't know. It just it was it was something that really really just jumped out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, because to me, I actually thought, I actually thought he was like, yeah, I'm having a, I'm going to have her try and sound a little bit more like a chav. You know, like like if you're watching Misfits, which will hopefully tie into one of our questions down here. You know, um, well, it was, she orange jumpsuit. But no, I mean, she doesn't even sound like a chav. It's just, oh, All I I'm know. saying is, is I have watched it shows is, it's where it's suddenly there's gonna... The dropping like, the G off thinking. Yeah. You, and the fellas that really jump out in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I Because I'm sort of... Because I'm already in uh, defending the sinking sandcastle that is Brian Bendis only has four types of... I thought... I honestly thought that you'd said that, so I'm, I'm pretty scared. <laughs> I'm fairly sure you did. Maybe I did, but no, I, I really hope I did because I didn't have anything to back it up with. <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't either. So uh, technically for listeners pushing on this one, I think you can smartly call this a win. That being said, I think I also think if I were to sit down, who knows, maybe I would find more. But I, I think those those four, uh, you know, banter couple, irreverent wise ass and uh, uh, voice of authority slash voice of genius are a are little, little too prevalent. Um so, so, so we got that one out of the way, and thank goodness hey, it only took us victory. Uh, um, I'm actually going to suggest we take an early break because my connection with you is going terrible right oh, now. Oh no, I can no, barely hear you. Okay, well, is it is it is it here? You know, part of the problem is my stupid headset is uh, is basically buried in my beard while still being somewhat far from my face. So. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. You just keep coming and going. It, I'm getting weird. Not even distortion. You, it just sometimes drops out entirely. Oh shit! Well, that's horrible. Okay, uh, let me call you back so, in a second. So let's do the let's do the traditional station ident. Indeed. And then when we come back, uh, we will tackle the other thing that we promised people to talk about last week. Oh yes, I'm like. The and then we'll get to the questions. Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned, everyone. Stay tuned. Jeff Lester, I think we should now tackle... Oh, by the way, welcome back. <laughs> Jeff Lester, I think we should now tackle... 
the internet and why it is destroying art. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, you may actually feel differently than me about this, but interestingly enough, I had been reading what felt like a series of three or four or five columns over the course of the last month that had looked at a different quote-unquote creative industry and talked about the way that the internet had more or less destroyed it. Um, you know, I think we're sort of used to hearing it be like, oh, okay, the traditional press uh, is it's pretty common to get the whole, you know, oh my god, the internet's killed journalism. But, um, you know, about a month ago, I was uh, reading this blog, I think it's Mike South, um, that someone had mentioned online and South is apparently a, a commentator about uh, on, on the porn industry and his whole thing that he's been talking about for the last couple of years is how the internet killed porn but rather more specifically how um, the the places like Xtube and there's one very specific guy that he's crazy about that in, in not in a positive way that apparently um started running the majority of the free porn sites and you know from the advertising dollars that it soaked up from that was able to eventually sort of start buying up companies and is is sort of slowly gobbling up all the content um and it kind of struck me as a variety of uh uh, other things i suppose It, it really kind of made me me think that um essentially that the internet by us being able to be connected and having information being provided to us all the time, but also in our ability to share information all the time, is basically an enormous assembly line for information and entertainment. And I, I had started thinking about it months and months ago, even with the idea that the idea of the steampunk movement, where I kind of just had this weird realization that that steampunk it feels like it's such a big thing now trying trying to think why that really is i feel like people in their own unconscious way are trying to rework victorian history and and the history of the beginning of industrialization because we're all relatively aware that in in the same way that you would never mistake anyone dressed up as a steampunker for an actual Victorian ever, we bear no resemblance from the people who got locked in factories and spent fourteen hours a day, six days a week, having to assemble having to, to create widgets, you know? And yet I feel like we are those we are those people. Like the internet Oh no, I I I, I very much agree. And I mm-hmm. I have uh, I have a slightly different viewpoint on it because, like, I work in the internet. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, yes. Absolutely. And so, like, I very directly uh, believe that, or or uh, empathize with the people who are stuck in the factories creating widgets all the time because <laughs> because I'm just constantly creating or regurgitating or mm-hmm. or building output, shall yeah. we say, building content. Yeah. Yeah. This is not was creation, but I think that that constant feed of information and constant feed of content, constant feed of of, of just stuff, mm-hmm. 
devalues the stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's really hard to find uh, sort of lasting content or lasting relationships mm-hmm. with content. Right. Because even if you really like something, the speeds that you have now gotten used to receiving new things, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. from the internet has you, even if you love something, almost immediately being like, what's next? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't have the... I don't think you have the ability to build a relationship with art in the same way that you used to. Mm-hmm. And also, you. well, I should say that, that that's in two senses. One, you don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But so you don't have the um, space to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're constantly surrounded by other people telling you what they think of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's before you have yourself addressed it or, or read it or listened to it or whatever. Right. Uh, and so you're, the amount of preconception they build, bring something is also just incredibly overwhelming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also and this might just be me I don't know how much this impacts people who don't have to do this for their li- their job mm-hmm. um, it changed your relationship to things because you almost have to see or read or listen to things before other people do because that's your job I guess mm-hmm. because otherwise you're going to get the reports the spoilers the everything ahead of time so you almost feel like a pressure mm-hmm. to interrelate with art to have an experience yes a pressure to have an experience yeah uh, and quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what I mean the idea of like I, I'm gonna wait you know I, I'm gonna wait until you know the movie's been out for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. seems crazy now yeah do you know what I mean because it's like what's the I mean I, I was telling you offline the other week that uh, I keep meaning to see the James Bond film and I just haven't like I've like, just been too busy to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. Part of me is now like, well, you know, that James Bond film's been out for four weeks. What's the point? Right. And that's crazy. <laughs> four weeks. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I saw, I think I saw it two weeks before you did. And I, at the point we saw it, I was kind of like, well, I guess this is still relevant. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, nah. but ba- basically it was more of a screw it. I don't care if it's relevant or not. I sort I sort of want to see it still. Yeah. You know? Um, crazy thing. I think it, uh, not just the idea of we are all so uh, interconnected with it now that we're all part of a culture that uh, demands but also feeds content right? and that pop culture has become this like group hive mind because yeah. then but also I think that hive mind then impacts your own relationship as an individual with any art yeah well I mean I'm starting to think that the hive mind is the art experience now has become the art experience you know, we can't, we can't, um, it, it's the part that we keep coming back for, you know, like, uh, admittedly built into my, my own biases. If you go back and, and read, um, God, what was it when we were, uh, the Savage Critics Roundtable, when we were talking about, uh, all the various, uh, events that were going on at the time, which I think was Flashpoint and, uh, Fear Itself. And, uh, you know, I talked about that feeling of having to pay to play, you know, of like, well, if I want to be able, I want to be able to talk about these things, which means I have to buy these things, you know, because I like the conversation. Um, I feel like the constant stream of stuff coming at us all the time and the constant reaction to it, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook, is so amplified. Um, You know, comments on, on a news story. I mean, weird, like you're looking at porn and you get to see how many people liked it. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, that's that weird, like... You would think that porn, more than anything else, would have this kind of like, I, 
it's kind of important to me that I have this relatively one-on-one relationship with this thing. And instead, it's kind of this weird, like, oh, hey, great. 49 other people, too, gave it a golden boner. Great. <laughs> you know? Like, weird. Um, I feel like that really has has changed. I it, it may be a good thing, ultimately, but I can't help but think... And I don't, and actually, I'm trying to remove it from the realm of value judgments. I'm just trying to think that for better or for worse, art has become worthless. Uh, even as it is so in demand, it is constant. And I don't think art is in demand. I think well, content is in demand. I think experience is in demand. But yeah. I think the quality of that right. it is is at a low not that's not true I don't think quality of that is a low I think the interest in quality in that is at a low I think what is important now is novelty not quality Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right because the experience of experiencing something new or the experience of sharing something new is the the goal now in what you're trying to and what happens is I think the actual uh, art Mm -hmm. is worthless as opposed to the anticipation thereof mm, interesting you know yeah. what I mean oh, mm-hmm. I just it, part of me is because uh, like the Star Trek trailer was released today or mm-hmm. the, the trailer for the trailer um, <laughs> that somehow I, just underlines your point so well <laughs> but I, I like I've seen so many people being like here's a scene by scene breakdown of this trailer for the trailer right and it's like holy shit you guys like <laughs> wait wait at this point less than a week and the actual trailer will be here yeah yeah, like yeah, you know, that you're not even that you're just dissecting it, but that you're now getting angry that mm-hmm. this guy isn't Khan, even though there's nothing in the trailer saying that he is or isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting weirdly self righteously angry about this thing mm-hmm. that you have imagined based upon this trailer to a trailer to a film. Well, and that could be that could be the nature of 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 all the incomplete narratives that we're stumbling in and out of all the time is is that a we are everyone's sort of group participating in trying to you know say what the rest of the elephant is like based on filling filling up the feeling up the ear uh, or the tail or something um and also just being incredibly disappointed when it's not that thing that everyone has now you know, built in a crowdsource, you know, over the last three years, if you're talking about Lost, or like two and a half hours, if you're talking about this Star Trek trailer, you know, um, I, you know, I, I, so I think in a way, everyone is having these sort of, um, is, is sort of participating in the experience, the experience of speculating about the art is this, um, is the new art. Is the new art. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, I mean, I, for those people listening to us who are like, oh, this is terribly ironic coming from two podcasters who talk about comic books other people write. Yeah, I, I think we know that. But <laughs> but but that doesn't mean that we're still not kind of overwhelmed nonetheless. Um, and weirdly, I think the thing I, I to, mean, to keep in mind is sort of like you said, I mean, there's the experience that we're having, like you said, of the way in which the people assembling the widgets on the line like you are is 
very, very similar to the experience that people like me who are only commenting on the widgets as they sort of come off the line or the people who are supposedly actually using those widgets, but what they're really just doing is resharing them and repopping them into their Facebook timeline and or starting a fight about it and or trolling you. But, um, but that's just it. Like, the internet is the big uh, democracy machine. Mm-hmm. Better or worse. Right. And so the idea of there being an incredible difference between the author and the reader, mm-hmm. like that line gets blurred to the point of non-existence. Right, right. But unfortunately, the thing that, that is, is rough is the authors are not making that much more than the readers in the whole thing, because you're still essentially... You're still just one more set of hands on on. No, that's what I mean. Line. Like, yeah. the, I, I don't mean it in the sense of well, the you know the role of the author is being devalued mm-hmm. by the reader being able to leave comments. I mean it in the sense of like the entire thing yeah. has become this this weird. I don't know. Uh, I I almost feel like you have to get rid of all of those roles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone has become the spectacle. It, it has become right. like the entertainment singularity. Right, the entertainment singularity. But I feel like you can't get rid of those roles because of the way that the the assembly line is in place. You know, sort of the same way that. I, but it's I rem- a feedback loop. Does that not complicate your assembly line? Um, I don't. Well, let's put it this way: it's a feedback loop, so you you always need someone to hit that first key or play that first tone. You know, and because it is an assembly line the companies that own it will make sure that something is out there. They don't, they're not necessarily wanting to pay much, but you know, in, and in the case of Huffington Post, though, they would really rather prefer to pay nothing. Um, but there's always A, there's all, the, the lines have to keep rolling. There's always going to be something rolling down those lines. If that, and that, you know, whether that is, means that, you know, Mike South is angrily pointing f- fingers at, you know, the providers who, uh, who host porn and destroy the porn industry or, you know, the people who share music who the music people claim destroyed the music industry or, you know, the YouTube people. I, I think that ultimately what happens is product has to, once the thing's in place, there has to be product. And, uh, you know, if that product, we've seen the quality of the product kind of sort of go down in some ways and probably up in others but the basic idea of like once you build an assembly line and you can make a sponge cake on it it doesn't have to be as good as a regular sponge cake because you've got now you've got a Twinkie you know and well I mean exactly and is that not just is that not the history of the world (laughs) (laughs) well it's certainly the the history of our corner of the world but I I really didn't have that thing of like realizing um, I don't know just everything that's sort of getting chewed up in the gears I it, I think that's actually you know and again unsurprising uh, another reason why the whole um, zombie thing is such a is such a big deal because you know it is that idea of you know it's it's us versus them on steroids you know complete with the you know built-in realization that were the same, were the same ultimately, but on on top of it, it is that idea of, yeah, I'm trying to survive while everything around me is getting chewed into bits, and there's going to be 
something new. It's turning me into something new that I don't necessarily recognize. And of yeah. course, you know, with going back to the classic Romero's, it's going to be like, whether it's good or bad, it's happening and there's nothing for you to really do about it. But I'm fascinated the ways in which that in the steampunk stuff and the variety of ways in which all of our cultural metaphors seem to be preparing us for something that I feel like we're only half aware that we're undergoing half the time, you know? I Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> I, what I was going to say is I think that's always kind of been the case. Has yeah. pop culture always reflected our neurosis? Uh, right. Yeah, I think so. But I, but I would think that, unlike, unlike, for example, when everyone's like, "Oh, the twenty-four, like when people were talking about twenty-four and torture porn, it struck that all struck me as like pretty easy. Like that stuff was barely in the waters, like more than two and a half minutes, where it was like, "Oh, of course, we're all completely fucked up about what we're doing, you know, over there, and it's it's bouncing back on us," but. I don't know some some of the the zombie stuff. I, I guess I'm used to it being like, oh yeah, sure, sure, you know, yeah, it's culture. But I mean, but not like, oh yeah, no, it's really culture. It's like every time I turn on my computer, I'm doing something. I'm 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 part of this horde in a way that I'm not really uh, acknowledging. Or, as you point out, maybe other people are way on top of that, and I'm far far behind. <laughs> I can't wait for the comments for this one. <laughs> Probably. Uh, speaking of which, should we should we start in on the official questions? Let's start in. Do you want to do the, the uh, Twitter ones first? There's only a handful of Twitter ones. Or do you want to do the uh, savagecritic.com thread, of which there are many? There are and many. And thank you very much, everyone, who gave us questions, by the way. Yeah, it's Especially savagecritic.com crowd, because Jeff and I pretty much only decided yesterday... Mm-hmm. to do this and we were both like i don't know if we'll get enough questions and you guys really came through so thank you yeah absolutely that that being said since uh since we oh is there anything else you want to throw in about the widget i kind of felt like i was like running no i think running. i think you're being much smarter than i could be on that so i i'm happily staying quiet mm, okay if you say so i actually know that half of these thoughts are things that i have from from following your links on your tumblr so i i'm i'm Halfway, sir. I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's not true. But for for convenience's sake, if you are, um, <laughs> if you're willing to cede the the ground to to my blabbity ass, why don't we move on to uh, to the Twitter questions? Okay, Twitter questions. First one is from Adam P. Nave. Yay! First of all, Jeff, what does the P stand for? I think you should just make something up right now. Ooh, uh, pusillanimous. I never know. I was going to say pugnacious, but okay. Ooh, pugnacious. Nice. Uh, redo Marvel now. Cast through two X Men and two Avengers books, and what creative teams? You go, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay, I guess I've got to use current talent, right? I can't just be like Steve Englehart and Jack Kirby. On, yeah, on I sort of get the sense that you, they really the trick is to pull from like what who, who and what is currently in the market. Um, God, what would work in the market? They've probably made smart choices in what they work in the market. Uh, I keep Eminent on the X Men book, mm-hmm. um, but I would, pro- I'd probably give Jonathan Hickman the X Men. Mm. Hmm. I I think there's something about the future thing that he's fascinated by that would actually work with X Men in a way that it feels kind of forced with an Avengers. Sure. Um, 
Let's see, but that's only one book. Well, who else would I give an Avengers to? I would give X Men. Well, to I just, and I, I didn't mean successful in the industry. I just meant in the industry right now. Like, Today. yeah, people who are currently working in the industry are, are who you have to pull from. It may not be someone who's uh, at all. Oh popular. God! In that case, I would give. And I, if, I, if I'm not caring about reality whatsoever, Brandon Graham's getting an X Men book. Oh my God! I was going to say the same thing. Damn uh, it! All right. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the other X Men book I would give to Ooh. a round robin team. Mm-hmm. That would consist of Becky Cloonan mm-hmm. and uh, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. Wow! As artists, this is X Men. They would write it, or it would be written by. Oh, do you know who else is add to that? I'd add um, Faith Aaron Hicks as an artist, and it would be written by Kate Beaton. Ah, there we go. Lovely. Um, and for the Avengers. That's kind of a hard one. Who would I give Avengers to? I know Avengers is kind of a tough one, isn't it? Like, it's sort of that, uh, you know, like, there's got to be a dude who you think is good at, like, team books and, like, good at, you know, a variety of things, I guess, in a way that you sort of want to see it. But I, I sometimes wonder if, like, the with maybe the exception of, like, when Chris, Kurt Busiek went on Avengers, if there's, like, a lot of dudes who you really think you're going to want to see on Avengers until you until they're there and you're their favorite. And like, huh, so this is just an Avengers book, huh? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, kind of like, huh. Or, or maybe alternately it becomes something that you're kind of weird, you become weirdly excited by. Um, um, God, I really don't know who on Avengers. That's a really, really tough one. Yeah, it's really funny uh, how no, easy you can assemble I would, the Artist-wise, I know who I'd put on Avengers. Yes. Uh, but I can't remember his name. It's the guy who does Supergirl right now. Who I want to say called Mahmoud Ajrar. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Maybe. He would de- I would definitely put him in an Avengers book. And I'd, for the other Avengers book, I'd have Pascal Ferry on there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and writing-wise, I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. No, not true. Al Ewing. Oh, interesting. Is going to go on one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's see, do I want to continue that and put John Wagner on one just for shits and giggles? <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> I think I'd put John Wagner on New Avengers. I think I'd keep the New Avengers shtick mm-hmm. that uh, Hickman has, whereas it's about the Illuminati and it's the political book. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd put uh, John Wagner on that. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay, go. <laughs> Shit. Well, as you pointed out, it does seem like it's really easy to like stack the deck with uh, the X Men titles with sort of like quirky left of center creators like Brandon Graham writing, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley writing, um, Hope Larson writing New Mutants. I think would be kind of awesome. Uh, but then, you know, I, I'm pretty brain dead when it comes to figuring out, like, who I would set up as, like, the big slick drawer types. Because there are people that I certainly do like, and it sort of, like, if you put Brandon Graham and Jerome Opinia on an X-Men book, I would be probably pretty happy with what walked out of that. Just like if you had uh, Brian Leo Malley, and then you'd have to get someone kind of... Um, you know, like, I don't know who you would put in there. Like, would you go super, super simple and have him, like, write well, simple? Would you go for a more cartoony-type style and have him write and draw it, or would you would you switch things up a little bit? I don't, I don't 
really know. And then, of course, with Hope Larson, I don't know who I would get to draw it. Like, let's just say in like this crazy, perfect world where, you know, you can actually have people do two books without, you know, you're not pirating anyone. You've created a little Brandon Graham clone who can, like, write the X-Men books while he's still doing multiple warheads and stuff. And similarly, while Hope Larson's writing New Mutants, you can get it drawn by Fiona Staples, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've changed my mind. Uh, Kate Beaton's not going to draw my other X-Men book. It's going to be Amy Bender. Oh, nice. Because she would actually do a really fucking great X-Men book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Uh, uh, I do like the idea of putting Al Ewing in a Secret Avengers um, book. I think that would be great. I mean, I don't know why I'm like, I'm sure it would be great in a regular Avengers book, but I just, I, there's something where, um, for whatever reason, Secret Avengers, which is this idea of which I'm not sure anyone has ever quite made quote-unquote work, I feel like he could do some interesting stuff too. Uh, but that's probably just based on reading, you know, the big Wrap up of uh, of 2000 AD this week. Um, I the regular Avengers book. I would want Chris Samney to draw it. I think. Oh, good choice. Yeah, I think he, that would be really, really lovely. And then you know, like traditional, but with a lot of character to it. Um, and in that regard, I guess I would want someone who could really, you know, throw in the the old crash and bang, but also have like good interpersonal relationships so uh, I honestly just thought Jeff Parker are you right Jeff Jeff Parker right yeah that's actually that's that's something that he gets serious props for and should get serious props for I was thinking it might be good to like drag you know scour the the DC side of things to try and find somebody who's like kind of strange and quirky who I'd like to see more of but standard deal <laughs> right, exactly. You know, the guy did some quirk. Sorry. I have to give him some credit. I that was a quirky Omac book. I don't think it was great as far as characterization goes, but um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I'll leave that slot open with with the ability to like jump back to it as soon as I go. Oh shit! Right, the my pretty pony person. I'd I'd love to see Al Ewing doing Avengers Avengers just because, and I have no idea if this is entirely me projecting or not. Mm-hmm. But based on his dread and based on his Jennifer blood, I think there's a really strong heroic morality in his work. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see him do a quote-unquote straight superhero book with that. It's the same reason I'd love to see Al Ewing doing Superman. Mm. Would love to see Al Ewing doing Superman. Interesting. Interesting. I always um, feel I mean, like I, his strong... If someone yeah. like, was like, hey, Al Ewing and Henry Flint... Do you want to do a run in action comics? I would be there in a motherfucking second. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I can see that. I don't know. I guess maybe because of my experience with with Dread and Jennifer Blood, I also, I have this tendency to think that that Ewing is kind of a is really good at the like you said the, the morality, morality. But, <laughs> but but yeah, exactly. It's sort of the yeah. silver lining morality. You know, yeah. it's like there's got to be a pretty goddamn dark cloud, and then he, and then his belief in the tenacity of the potential for goodness in human 
nature uh, it seems that much more sort of created by contrast so again part of me is like eh, yeah Secret Avengers and Uncanny X-Force you know something that's a little weird and quirky something where he's got the freedom to not necessarily make it grim but can make something sort of complex you know maybe maybe Paul Cornell maybe Paul Cornell on Avengers would be kind of interesting drawn by Chris Semney it, it's not really hard to do the big books because if you're like, you know, what with Marvel now, you can create any Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Would you not find that easier than doing two X-Men and two Avengers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, you know, if, if someone was like, hey, you know, you've got one Marvel Now book, what would you do? And I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to steal the Doctor Who team, Brandon Cypher and Philip Bond, and I'm going to put them in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, right. that's like, sure, that's of course what I'm going to do. Right. But as soon as you're like, Avengers and X-Men, I don't know, there's some sort of flop sweat that comes along yeah like, well really? because there's kind oh, of this God. idea well because there's there, there's guys that you know are very good at writing sort of singular you know experiences you're not sure if they're going to write group experiences there's also that idea of like they have to write you know it's easier to pick someone who's quirky like you said Brandon Seifert could be great at, I mean he writes uh, Witch Doctor has multiple characters in it so um, but you know but you're kind of that weird like but can he do the archetypal characters and it's I don't know it's just it's just it's just silly but you find yourself kind of doing this weird like you sort of want to pick someone who's you know who who has done I guess has shown themselves sort of capable of, of making their way through the, the battlefield of traditional work for hire but then could do something kind of um, that could change things up a lot, I guess. At least for me, for an Avengers book. Like I said, with Spider, you know, it's not like Hope Larson's done a lot of team books, as far as I know, before. It would have been funny if it was like, you know, dream dream books, and then you'd be like, oh, you know, Paul Pope on X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I did want to try, and, and maybe this was unrealistic of us, but I, having ad- asked this question in various iterations at various times, maybe not just joined up with Marvel now, but I thought it would be a uh, fun challenge to, to come up with somebody, to come up with names of people that you could actually see sort of putting out the book mm-hmm. uh, on that on even the creepy Marvel now schedule. I don't know if anyone can actually ever do that, but... Oh, you know who I'd love to see doing Avengers? Who? Evan Darkin as writer. Oh, yeah. You know, actually... I'd, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd kill to see Evan Darkin doing a Fantastic Four book. Again, mm-hmm. not one of the two books, but I'd love to see Evan Darkin doing a Fantastic Four. I'm always fascinated that he never got more involved in Marvel, apart from, like, that Thing miniseries and a few other things that popped up. Uh, you know, because he always struck me as such a... His work... He knows everything, but he seems to have a very enduring love for the Marvel characters... Uh, and and a really deep knowledge of them and ways that you know as as a native Staten Island guy I think could just sort of catch a lot of the New Yorkeriness of them. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to see him. I would love to see him do more stuff at Marvel. But then I don't to the extent that I really in a way care. You know, which I'm in this weird zone with with Marvel, uh, in the sense of like last week <laughs> that I didn't get very many books, and I was like, oh, I was kind of looking forward to that. And I'm like, wow, are you really back on the little hamster wheel that quickly again? And then it's, this week, but it's bizarre, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then this week I sort of toned it down, and then uh, I had two or three guys be kind enough to share like a good chunk of their books, and I'm like, okay, well, I got like you know four books to read here. Let's let's get to popping, you know, and I. 
I don't know. I it, yeah, it is weird. You start to get back into the habit, and you're like, oh, I can pick up anything. I can read anything by these guys, and it's like, uh, no, I can only read the stuff that people are sending me. Uh, I mean, apart from stuff I already have, um, and and also just there's kind of that strange feeling of. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's like smoking a cigarette again or something. It's like you know, if you you quit for a little while and you're like, I'm just not it, that into it. And then someone gives you one in a bar, and then the next thing you know, you're you're bumming them off of other people for like two weeks, and then until you decide to start buying a pack or quit it, whichever you know. So, 2013, the year where Jeff decides if he's going to buy a pack, <laughs> I'll quit it together. Adam <laughs> Maeve also asks, justify a D-Man series? Go. Cool. <laughs> oh, I you know I don't I'll, I'll be honest I don't know I don't know enough about D Man I quit reading uh, Captain America before Mark Greenwald came on and uh, D Man was kind of this little thing through the '90s where he was a character slash punchline and then the new Marvel people seem to use him as just a punchline so I don't oh, until Ed Brubaker turned him into Scourge oh. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, so- which is like the ultimate punchline, really. Let's be honest. Wow. I did not realize that. When did that happen? That was in, in the recent series. Whew. Holy smokes. Um, yeah, uh, I think D-Man... I think D-Man works as a punchline. But like a punchline you have affection for, as mm-hmm. opposed to a nasty punchline. Yes. And I feel like he's been the latter. He's been a nasty punchline for a while. And yeah, I got the like, sense. Ha ha ha, he's just shit. Mm-hmm. As opposed to... I think there's... I think D-Man in many ways is... Crystallizes a lot of like the Marvel any schlub can be a hero mm-hmm. thing. Right. And at some point, like that ceased to be true of Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this sort of undercurrent of elitism. Could be hero at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And so it started. He started being a a let's point and laugh punchline. Yeah. Um, I would. I. I'm not sure if I could justify a demon series, but if there was a demon series, I would want to see it be something that really was. uh, Everybody's a star. Right. You know. Like I, I, I would, I would give that to Al Ewing. Is a, what you're saying? Give Al Ewing the D-Man series. That's justification enough, right? Okay, then. I see. Here's the thing. <laughs> if I was, if I was running the comic industry, which mm-hmm. I'm thankfully not, because it would crash and burn even faster than it already is. <laughs> I would, I would, I would want to take Al Ewing outside of the comfort zone of. You do the wacky things. Oh, I see. Okay, Does that make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd want to be like, here's a big profile thing, so people can realize that you're fucking great. Right. Yeah, that's true. I, I and I think people would realize that because he is great. But um, yeah, I don't know. I enjoy the stuff that he has now, and so there's part of me that's like, I'm sure he could do the bigger stuff, and especially considering his uh, ambition and his intelligence for it. But. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, but if you're being assigned to do a D-Man series and you're the editor and it's Friday afternoon, Graham. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. I'm giving it to the best people I can. Right. Exactly. It's like, it's inside the box. It's going to work. And as far as you know, this person is actually smart and will share their porn with you. So, um, hey, good news. This has been 35 minutes. Uh, should I call you? <laughs> hey, good news. It has been 35 minutes. Why don't you call me back and we'll take on the next Adam P. Name question. <laughs> God. Oh, <laughs> listeners, be prepared to be have us answering questions uh, into two thousand fifteen. No, after the next Adam question, uh, Robin, aka Twist on Twitter, mm-hmm. asks my favorite question of this entire batch. Oh. So, 
seriously, um, stick around, listeners. Stick around, Jeff Lester. I, I, I will now. Wow, that really was a second. Yeah, pretty pretty amazing. It's this new computer thing. Admittedly, I didn't like do the sensible stuff and be like, that call did get recorded, right? And instead, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's fine. Everything's good. Nothing ever goes wrong here. So, uh, yes. Hey, hey, Jeff. Jeff. Yes. Welcome back. I didn't ask. What sandwiches and pies are you both looking forward to in 2013? Oh, man. Well, I don't know how to answer that, but I can give you a quasi-answer. Yes. Uh, I have discovered a new bakery in Portland, which is really close to where I live, uh, and is amazing. Makes the greatest bread. Bread that I bought a loaf, and pretty much that's all I ate for the next two days. Uh, I'm actually trying to find the name of it. Uh, Let's see if this will even work. Bakery says, that's not right. Internet. Well, the internet is not giving me the name of this bakery, sadly. Um, There is a bakery. I can tell you where it is, listeners. (laughs) It's on uh, 30th Hawthorne and 52nd. Wow. It do uh, breads... They mill in house. Of course they do. Of it's course pointless. they do. Yeah. They, um, and they do a bread called a hard white bread, mm-hmm. which is just stunning. So, what sandwiches am I looking forward to this year? Anything made with that bread. Right. Hmm. Okay. Good answer. And any pies or pie related? Uh... I'm I'm a sucker for like a good, like give me a chicken pot pie. Mm. I'm a savory pie more than a sweet pie guy. Uh, I see. I see. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah, I actually was thinking the other day because the weather's getting right for it. There's a there's a vegetable pot pie that's served over on uh, Cortland Avenue that uh, used to be pretty good. And I was like, man, that sounds like a great idea right about now. You know. Um. Uh. Should I answer uh, for myself? Uh, let me just say that I am very excited at the possibility of eating at Ike's Deli somewhat soon. Um, the sandwiches at Ike's are truly amazing, and almost all of them have vegetarian um, uh, companions, analogs, I guess. So I so there's a like, and they may not serve it anymore, but there used to be like a a vegetarian turkey with like pineapple. It was just awesome, and I've been craving for about two or three months. But I'm, uh, you know, actually trying to to eat a little healthier and stay away from the breads and sugars, which has really fallen apart over the last three days. I got to say. So, but it, um, you you're know, sick. You should be doing the comfort eating. Yeah, and uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that because God help me, I am. Uh, but I, so I'm. I've, part of me is like, yeah, you know, maybe in 2013, maybe do it so that it's like. One sandwich a month. Make it a great sandwich. Like, I'm hearing really good things at the sandwiches uh, at, at Wiseman & Sons over on uh, 24th Street um, in the Mission. 
and just just do one of those like a month and then the rest of the time just have like no bread whatsoever um on a related note, Upper Crust Pies, which makes pies and delivers at least within the San Francisco Bay Area, um, are do some amazing pies during the holidays. They have a, an amaretto pumpkin pie uh, that is fantastic, and they also have what I absolutely have fallen in love with. They have an apple cran pie, cranberry pie, with a crumble crust and then a cream cheese inner lining that is once you get that sucker heated up is even cold is fantastic seriously seriously phenomenal um that sounds so appalling to me i can't tell it, it just is very awful to you yeah i guess because you're not a sweet <laughs> person yeah exactly terrible. as soon as you went to cream cheese i was like what yeah no. oh, why why would so anyone good. put that in give their mouth give it a little bit of tang anyway then uh i would love to get up to portland and have some some fine ass savory waffles from the waffle window i've i admit that i've not been very actively hunting out waffles which is probably why you haven't heard much about it on the podcast for a while everybody but uh um, you know, I, they're just, they're, the liege waffles seem to be making some inroads, but I haven't been very aggressively pursuing the various new, like there's a Justin's waffles that's out that I saw a 12 pack at Costco that were liege waffles. I was like, well, I could try picking those up and experimenting, but you know, honestly, if I can just make it to visit Graham and Kate in the waffle window once or twice a year. I'll probably live longer and be just as happy. Robin, aka Twist on Twitter, asks my favorite question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What would Wolverine get as gifts for each of the Avengers? <laughs> what would Wolverine give his gifts to each of the Avengers? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> I don't know why that question makes me so happy. <laughs> You like it because it's about superheroes and the holidays. That's that question's just a sucker question. No, I like it because it's one of those. Um, imagine these characters are real, right? Do you realize how absolutely ridiculous this is? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what would Wolverine get as gifts for each of the Avengers? The in-character question: mm-hmm. beer. That's what I thought as well, too. Yeah. What he should get? Uh, that's a good question. Wouldn't it be great if he was just like a terrible gift giver? I mean, not just in the sense of like, oh, I give you beer. I mean, you really would just get them beer. No, no, yeah, I know. But I mean, like the person who sort of tries hard, but like doesn't. I mean, like how great would he? Yeah, he really tries. Like he gets Cap, like Captain America, some sort of like, you know, greatest hits of the 40s. Exactly. Even worse than that, like Band of Brothers. You know what I mean? Like get him something (laughs) where he'd be like... I was in this war, you dick. And it's like, yeah, I thought you'd really get a kick out of it. Driver Ryan, it's really good. It's like you're actually there. It's like you're actually, he was, I was actually there. I'm like, yeah, but no, seriously, you just got to watch it. It's amazing. I'm like, you know, fridge magnet. Yeah. No, like something from the sharper image catalog. You know what I mean? Like just something where he's like, much better. Where were you? But I was planning gifts for people for Christmas. Come on! If you need someone who's terrible, I'm your man. Let me t- let me tell you that is just it's just not a problem, you know. Uh, oh man! Yeah. Oh man. Um. Okay. Next question. Dave Press asks, "What do you think Karen Berger will do next?" And it's true. We haven't even mentioned Karen Berger stepping down from Vertigo. Dude, when did that happen? Like, I really was like thinking about the fact that. 
it was an embarrassing oversight that we didn't mention it on our podcast, but I'm like, it must have happened afterward, right? Oh, yeah, it happened like Monday. Oh, thank God. It already felt like it's... I think it just really, it's been hard for me to to, to get a, my wrap my brain around because of sort of the reverberations of it. Um, well, the reverberations, but also in that strange kind of uncomfortable time travel feeling of like... Didn't everyone like? Didn't everyone sort of secretly come up with a date on their calendar when the new Fifty Two was announced as to when Karen Berger was going to be leaving? Yeah, and but it took longer for me. Yeah, yeah. Even though it was less than two years, I was really expecting it to be like under six months or something, and so maybe I just got lulled into a, a false sense of security with it. You know, um, I have to say I really appreciated everybody's tributes. Um, like, I don't really feel like I could top any of the stuff that was actually said by everyone about it. I, I thought it was incredibly, immensely moving to see that much um, goodwill openly expressed to somebody who's still alive, you know? Yeah, and it was very funny because it really felt that the volume of goodwill was like someone had died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so rare for people to just be so complimentary and so gracious Mm-hmm. about someone who's still around. And I think that says a lot about Karen Berger. Mm-hmm. It really does. It really does. And, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I also assume that maybe everyone was doing it. Because I guess when she, when it was announced she was leaving, I was just kind of like, well, she's just going to leave the industry then. You know, I, I just assume like, okay, she's just going to retire or maybe she'll try her hand at something else she's always wanted to do or something. But I just kind of figured like, okay, that's it. And then, of course... Once you see all the goodwill being um, coming and who it's coming from, you know, and you start reading pieces where it's like, yeah, basically they could, you know, put her in why some other comics company wouldn't like give her her own division and have her recreate Vertigo for, you know, IDW or for Image or somebody who, in theory, hopefully if they could afford the, the production startup of, the, of that, um, you know, why not? Uh, and, and, and before the, before all the tributes, I was like, yeah, she's just going to leave. And now, of course, I'm sort of like, everybody is so, she is so clearly well-loved and hugely respected that it was kind of like, well, why doesn't she just start something up? You well, know? it's possible that she just doesn't want to. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, she's... What, she's what really wow. got me was the the speed of it I guess mm-hmm. the fact that it was announced and it's like yeah she's going to stay around to March though to try and get someone else to take over really made me think oh this has happened really quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like she's, she might have been thinking about this for a long time mm-hmm. but this isn't a she told them a while ago and they've already got a, a new person in charge this is uh she pretty much was just like, I have to get out of here. And they decided they had to get the story out. Well, uh, yeah. Or, I mean, March is like three months. You know, it's not necessarily uncommon for a, you know, you want to sack, if you want to sack somebody by the end of the year to give them a couple of months to be able to hop back on their feet. So... I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't entirely rule out the possibility that they candor. Oh, no, I th- yeah, that's also possible. So, um, but... And if they did, good job, DC. I'm like, good job? I don't mean good job. <laughs> Tune in next week I for mean, lesson two of Bram explained sarcasm. Job, yes. 
what what do you think she'll do next? I don't. I really don't know. I mean, like in that same sort of like, gee, what sort of like? I half think that. Um, well, okay. One pos- possibility is. I don't think she has the money to start on her own. So the first thing we have to consider is is who's going to come to her, you know? Um, are there people who are smart enough and moneyed enough to try and get her in the ring, you know? Like, um, who was it? Uh, um, shit, what's his name? I'm blocking on it. You know, Scott Osler? Um uh, sure, I don't know who that is, but okay. yeah, exactly. Scott, who's the you know the Wildstorm editor who was um, oh Dunbeer, Scott Dunbeer, Scott Dunbeer, right? Exactly. He left. I forget. Didn't he end up? Is he at? He's at IDW now, right? Yes, he is. But wasn't he at somewhere else before? No, IDW? I'm fairly sure he pretty much went from Wildstorm straight to IDW. Was was it Wildstorm to IDW? Well, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Is is that the the idea that you can get somebody and take them? You know, oh, you know who I'm thinking of? I'm getting Scott Dunbeer confused with Bob Shrek, who also went to IDW, and then and that went to Legendary. Yeah, like within a like a year or something like yes. that. Yes, you know, so I can see someone like IDW being like, you know, you get Karen Berger, you've got you've got Karen Berger, and you've got Karen Berger's contacts, and maybe you're one step closer to what is my master plan, which is Neil Gaiman writing a Doctor Who comic, for example, like if I'm Ted Adams. But, you know, honestly, I think that the people who would really care about it would be the people who really have money. Like, if I were Robert Kirkman, I would be, like, skybound. Except, you know how you can really get Karen Berger to fit into the Skybound model when the Skybound model very clearly is an IP farm that, you know, but maybe his, you know, if his deal and his deal sounds a little more restrictive than what people were getting under Vertigo even. Mm-hmm. Um, See, that's fascinating because for me, I was like, Karen Berger heads to a mainstream publisher to set up a graphic novel line. I would think that too, except I don't know if everyone is really seeing those that graphic novel interest. I think so many publishers are still, I mean, yeah, my first thought was, yeah, okay, set her up at Pantheon. Except I don't think that, I don't think that those, even first second, which seems to have carved out a good, strong, comfortable niche for itself, is far less secure than I would like it to be. You know? Like, I don't think a lot of the industry necessarily knows what to do with graphic novels and currently are too busy trying to fight for survival. You know, I just for some reason I was just like, oh, so she's someone who has Neil Gaiman in her Rolodex, right? I like yeah. a mainstream publisher would would want them if they were like if they were even vaguely thinking about comics. Yeah, they yeah. would go for Karen Berger. I would think so too. I and it's just my thing of like I'm not really sure that's where publishing's head is at right now. I could it's true. Totally yeah, you're, yeah, you're 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 totally right. Yeah. So, but I just think, but and especially if you look at the the flops of the Vertigo crime line and novels and all that sort of stuff. Now, I think I think the people who would want her would be people who would want to be able to do... who be willing to, to put the investment in for the, the short-term, re, you know, sort of the short-term screwing, long-term reward of of creating another Vertigo with it, with hopes that you can even create one with a bit of a splash. So, like I said, part of me is like... 
I can see Kirkman has that money. I don't necessarily know if Kirkman had, I don't think Kirkman really has that interest. I don't think, I think he actually wants to create as many books that people will mistake for, for Robert Kirkman books as possible, which I, you know, and I think that, um, but I think certainly he's got the money. I'm not, I'm not sure if IDW has the cash or Oni has the cash or the interest, you know, maybe somebody like Arkea. You know, but who knows? Maybe someone like Comicsology, you know, is going to be like, hey, you know, we're going to start doing our own comics, you know, and we're going to start publishing directly to the web because we're seeing the amount of money. Basically, if we can, we've got a lot of money that's coming in from everybody else's transactions, we can start creating digital direct only comics, you know, that are edited and created by a Karen Berger offer very favorable terms and then be able to resell them in the direct marketplace for more money. You know? It's a possibility. I mean, that's essentially the Netflix model, he says. Yeah, exactly. Comixology is sort of moving more Netflix and a little less of the whole, like, hey, good news, everybody, we'll publish you and take 50% of your cut. Like, I think there's other ways that they're going to be like, you know, we get a certain, you know, we get a good chunk of the cut. We drop a bunch of money, which we have. We get we get to see some money on the IP, and we also build comics. Because I think the next goal for Comicsology is how do we create a destination for ourselves if we're competing, you know, with the Amazon Kindle or any number of other possible providers that 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 DC and Marvel are going to be interested in trying to set up for themselves, you know. Dave Press also asks, also, what writing project are you working on, Jeff? No. He adds, I don't care about you, Graham. <laughs> it's not true. I'm sure he does kidding care. For that, but really, <laughs> kidding, Dave? Really? Really, Dave? Uh, I, I don't think we can actually answer that, can we? Not currently. Hopefully, not hopefully a little soon. closer to soon. 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 Yeah. Also, you assume it's a writing project, everyone. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, Candy Apple Alley, who is currently Apple Pie Alley, which feels a bit Thanksgiving-y still, uh, <laughs> says, "Does Marvel hate Scarlet Witch fans more than DC hates Stephanie Brown fans, or vice versa?" Uh, my take on this is that men are are complete messed up creatures. So although. The DC people hate the Stephanie Brown fans in a more outright way because they hate Stephanie Brown. It's actually worse with the Marvel people because they think they actually like Scarlet Witch because they want to go to bed with her. And that is a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Man. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just moving on then. Uh, Alan (laughs) Buyan says, what comics this year did you like that you never, ever expected to like? Oh, what a good question. I can go first on that one. Bloodshot. Mm -hmm. Valiant's Bloodshot. As I think I've said this many times, uh, it's it's like the anti-Graham comic, and yet I love it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is a really good question. I think there was a lot of stuff out there that was kind of like, uh, you know, we're huge boosters of uh, uh, Double Barrel, um, published uh, by um, our fine fellows over at uh, Top Shelf. And uh, 
I picked up that first issue like, oh yeah, I mean, it's worth checking out, but it was really, really good, and that was something that I found quite a surprise. I've had, I, it's been a year of pleasant surprises as I've ended up moving away from Marvel this year. It was like, well, geez, am I really going to find anything else that's out there? Like, I, I sort of figured that I'd just sort of retreat into like a den of manga and sort of walk out every once in a while, you know, making crazy proclamations. But in fact, I was shocked by how much I've enjoyed, like, my my little digital subscription to 2000 AD came at exactly the right time for me, apparently, as far as the magazine goes and as far as uh, where I'm at, because that is just a huge treat. And I was... I made the experiment as much out of goodwill and faith in, in liking the other stuff that Al Ewing had done, but also as a, well, this is something, this is a, this is a model that I, I want to help support, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see 2000 AD, like, do a year two of this digital publishing thing. And, um, yeah, really like it. Uh, Did you see the interview with Matt Smith on Comic Book Resources, maybe, where he essentially said that they're looking at expanding next year? Oh really? So they're looking at maybe getting some collections up there as well. Wow! And also doing magazine. Yeah, that that would be really interesting. De- depending on what they do, they could they could maybe hook me. I'm certainly, like I said, a lot more interested in in various 2000 AD characters and 2000 AD as its own thing than I. There ever is have a before. lovely thing they're doing with the Christmas issue, which is coming out next Wednesday, which mm-hmm. is tomorrow as we release this probably. Um, as you know, every year they do uh, an annual, essentially. Mm-hmm. Their last issue of the year is is a, an oversized issue. I think it's 100 pages this year. Right. Um, with all new s- stories, either series starting or one-offs. Mm. So you can pick up that and be like, okay, jumping on point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for digitally this year, they're also doing pencils for all the stories. Oh, really? In addition. Wow. Uh, and it's lovely. Hmm. Especially because some pencils are really tight, and Simon Davis, who's a spectacular painter, mm-hmm. uh, his pencils are like stick figures. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's so great to see. That's fabulous. That's that um, is yeah. So that, that's really really good. I I got the the preview yesterday and haven't had a chance to read it. Like it's it's so big. It's hundred pages. Yeah, yeah. So I had a chance to look through it and be like, well, that's all pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's about as much. It's uh it's also got some teasers for what comes in the next wave of launch, which mm-hmm. is happening in March, which to my complete joy includes a new Zombos strip. Oh great, great great great. So very very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, that is fabulous. Uh, so I think that sort of covers that. Yeah, we actually answered that. Okay. Session. I might also ask, what is the most memorable thing said in this year's run of podcasts? I have no idea. See, we don't really listen to ourselves. I should know all this stuff because... Because um, you have to. You edit it. I know, but that <laughs> actually means I just try and tune it out twice as much. So... Uh, <laughs> Trust me when I say that Graham has been phenomenal and hilarious. So, uh, oh, Jeff, I, and I quite enjoy every one of your welcome back. That is, <laughs> is that it? Is that uh, the thing oh, that, that's made it for you this year? That that probably is. That is a new addition that I just I pretty much adore. So, I, and we're actually done with Twitter questions. Whew. Don't worry, there, there's like 50 it, questions on the comments. What? Right? 15 questions? Oh, we can get through that. That's no problem. Now, also, I should point out, listener, for this week and next week, we have hard stops, which we don't normally have. Normally, we have hard stops for me, 
mm-hmm. uh, which we always go past. Yes. But this week we actually have a hard stop for Jeff in that he has to be somewhere else, not at his house. Yeah, yeah. So we really only have like another half hour to go. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So, um, so, so yes. let's speed. Yes. The- Although we will be answering them next week too. So part of me is like, nah, speed, schmeed. Uh, okay, let's. Okay, Dr. Time Bomb. What a great name. It is a good name. Uh, let's see. With Karen Berger leaving DC, I've thought about the major changes DC has gone through recently. Yeah. It is only a few years ago that in addition to DC Universe and Vertical, you had Humanoids, CMX, Minx, and on the web, Zuda. DC overall seemed to be servicing all aspects of the industry. Variety was a value. Why didn't it work? Is it a matter of readers not showing up, therefore those initiatives not making enough beans for the bean counters? Is it impatience and short-sightedness on the part of the publishers? Which side shoulders the blame, and is it more than just one side? I think the last part is the, the answer there, isn't it? I think everyone shares blame. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of with you. I, I mean, it is, let's put it this way. DC, my frustration was that a few years ago, DC was, if you put it all out there, it's going, it's going to find an audience. And I really felt that that's not altogether true. You know, like on the one hand, I really give DC props sort of the same way that I give Fox props for doing three seasons of Arrested Development. On the other hand, do I feel that Fox did as much of a job as they could have for marketing um, Arrested Development? No. Do I feel that, that, for example, that DC, that the Humanoids line was pretty much just like an, an utter abortion like it, it was, it was a, almost a freak mishap, a mishap. A, 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 wow, I actually said mishap. Like it makes sense, mishap. There is the sh in there. Yeah, I, I, I knew what you're saying. And I thought it was one of those things where it's like, oh, that's cute. He thinks it's mishap, <laughs> but I don't. Apparently, the part of my brain that comes out while I'm on the Skype with you, Graham, did think that mishap was the way it was pronounced. Uh, it, it just was. Uh, it was. It was undermarketed. There, the books came out were just sort of dumped on the market. They weren't that great. Uh, the reproductions really ran the line from, well, they're affordable to, well, they're absolutely dark and horrible. So I, I don't know. I, you know, Zuda had that same thing too of like, we're putting some money and some attention into it and it seems to have worked, but we're not going to put more money and more attention to it. It's kind of like everything was allowed to, they kind of put it out there, but in a very, very health hearted, Jesus, half hearted kind of way. Sure, but at the same time, I don't know. I think I agree, but I also think it's one of those things where if it if there had been more uptake in the first place, they would have put more money behind it. If that makes sense. Sure. I, I'm I'm never sure how well, far I go with the. Uh, I mean, is it enough? I mean, come on, Graham. They couldn't have been expecting like we're going to put out, you know. Like, oh, by no, our second there Minx was book. DC was literally just throwing stuff out there. Yeah, they just were. And, like, things like Minx were not especially well-supported. I think, also, there there were varying degrees of quality, you know? Like, so the Minx stuff, I it's like I sort of kept trying them, and I'm like, uh, you know, every, every once in a while you'd hit one that, that would be a hit. But overall, a lot of them, you know, a lot of them weren't quite there. And it, it's hard as a critical voice to turn around and say, like, hey, people, you should like this. It's expensive and half-baked, 
you know it's um it, that's just you just find yourself you want to, i i think both of us really wanted to support the minx line but i think it was depending on the products coming out of it it went from yeah this was pretty good to a lot of it which was well this was okay and then the other stuff which was kind of like well it it's clear no these people are not used to doing more than six pages at a time you know um but yeah do i wish that there was still a, a year three or four of of the minx line um and that they had figured out a way to have pursued that so yeah, I don't I don't know. Like on the one hand, I I really want to point a lot of fingers at DC because I do feel that for better or for worse, um the comic marketplace needs to be trained. It's just like any marketplace, I think. You know, there's a reason why every movie gets, you know, a trailer and a publicity push and something that's even as much of a slam dunk as, you know, fill in the name of your slam dunk here will have, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising spent on it. Sure, know? but there's always the slam dunks have the most advertising spent on. Right. Well, like, I, I, th- yeah. I think you saying that sort of approaches it from a, you don't need to advertise Star Trek. And it's like, you, you don't need to, but you will, because that's the one that will then be like, well, look at the bang for a buck we got from that. Did you see how many people went to see Star Trek? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it I, is I that idea I feel like it's the easier, setup so. of the entertainment business, mm-hmm. for better or worse, spoiler, it's worse, is the less likely something is to be hit, the less likely it is to be promoted. Mm, yeah, yeah, I... I think that's probably true. I think that's probably true, but that's not always the case. I do feel like there are quirky thing, quirky underdogs that get loved and embraced by other media, and those quirky underdogs are still seeing way, way more money uh, in advertising and marketing and promotional push than DC probably puts into fucking Batman. You know? So... Uh, I, I think for an industry that has, I mean, that's one of the things about the new 52 is there, there look like there, you know, that a combination of returnability and national advertising, you could actually do something, you know, admit, it admittedly, it helps that you have a hook, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm just saying that it seems to me that what passes for marketing in a lot of the the big comic book companies these days seems to pat you know really be like um hey how do we keep websites in line you know and i kind of feel like there's there should be more to it than that so that's who i'm scapegoating woohoo <laughs> and i realize since i'm on this page i can actually like alternate questions with you Graham. so i'm oh, going good, to read the good, next go. question from Fower. Do you think Fower for Fower? Do you think the role of the artist artwork and his or her visual storytelling are given the appropriate amount of consideration in online comics criticism, particularly in criticism of mainstream comics? Not in the slightest. Yeah. Yeah, it is it's kind of shameful and I am uh as bad and probably worse about it than just about anybody. Um follow- I, but I I will also say that I think part of that is that especially mainstream comics as an industry mm-hmm. is incredibly writer centric. Yeah. Um, to the detriment of everyone. Mm-hmm. But I think you get it from, for example, when Marvel puts out their collections and it's Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, I'm pretty sure someone drew that. Yeah, exactly. 
or DC will talk about Scott Snyder's Batman. Right. Um, and I think it's because that's the most consistent creative presence on the book, and mm-hmm. so it's easier for them to identify. Yeah. But I, I think it's I think it really does a damage. Well, and I think there probably is something to be said, sadly, for for the fact of. Um the replaceability of artists on that sort of book. Well, I don't necessarily know that. I was actually going to say that the that they are you sort of you hear from them less. You know what I mean? Like if you but have again, would you hear from them less if critics, journalists, and publishers paid more attention to them? Um, Do you know what I mean? Is that not like a chicken or the egg type thing? Uh, well, my problem is I'm I'm framing it badly. I guess what I'm going to say is is that uh, you know a writer can write a book a week while an artist can draw a book a month, and so consequently, I feel like editorial interacts with writers a lot more than it interacts with artists, and so I feel like the curve bends that way. I mean, everyone is aware in the industry itself that that writers are more... They, they deserve more money, they're usually paid more, and they're considered I think bigger draws, but because they are a... Um, they're actually a resource that's sort of more of a pain in the ass. I feel like the writers by dint of being able to hang out are able to um, are able to, to sort of suck up the largesse to, more to be present yeah to be present and to be the source that is the identifier you know and I think that's really common now it's really expected for example at Marvel that the writers of the books are going to go out and do the publicity um, for the websites, you know, and consequently, I mean, it's kind of interesting that Marvel is trying to change that now with doing conference calls where you've got the editor and the writer and the artist all on the call and the ideas to make them feel seem like more of an integrated team, I think. But, you know, at least a year ago, it's very traditional that it was like, Brian Bendis is going to talk about the last issue of Avengers, you know, or Brubaker's going to be talking about Captain America, or Fraction's going to be coming out and pushing whatever book he's going to be pushing, and that is built into the nature of what they do, you know. And that again, that further reinforces things, but ultimately I think it's just it is it is uh it is painfully hard without artistic training. I think m- most of us are very very timid about talking about art. Um, and I think it's also I, I, I'm not even sure it's artistic training because hi I went to art school for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so subjective, mm-hmm. or sorry, so objective. Um, I I always think you mix those two up. What do you mean by objective? No, I mean subjective. Oh, okay, <laughs> I I got it right. Then I mix it up. God. Then I corrected myself. There we go. Um, but it is like it's it's for example Jerome Pena's. Avengers to me did not work. It did not work with the material. Yeah. Um, because the material is a superhero comic. Mm-hmm. And it was too ornate and too lacking in dynamism. Yeah, the dynamism really dragged. Yeah. Uh, but I know the internet is full of people who think I'm insane for that. Well, and so there, there really is a, a tendency to to shy away from that because I, as much as people will get upset with you talking about people right. Uh, being out of character or plot holes, right. I think those are easier to uh, defend. Yeah, 
than they are as opposed than to it, saying that person's crying say, in the wrong uh, style for you the know, book. The, the, the line work is too fragile in right. Abena yeah. to suggest the power that is supposed to be behind the Hulk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it, it it gets gets a really difficult. It's hard to verbalize that sort of thing. Yeah, in well, a way that it it's is, yeah. easier to do with yeah. writing. Yeah, exactly. Well, or, or it's easier. Yeah, it's easier to talk about a character being out of character or like out of place in a story than it is for you to, for them to say like, yeah, that's that car's out of place. Yeah. Like that's kind of not the yeah I, I knew what you because there are parts where I loved Opinion's work weirdly enough I really did feel it suited X Force better than it suited this first issue of Avengers by far just because there were a different set of the, expectations I wasn't going to say expectations I was going to say a different set of ideas like um, you know. Uh, when you've got, you know, Grant, you know, revisiting the idea of Grant Morrison's The World, uh, for example, and so it's a strange parallel uh, world where time flows differently and things are different and in many cases incomplete. That's, you know, that's an idea that I think Opeña is like, okay, I can go with this, as opposed to like, yeah, there's three people on uh, terraformed Mars and then you're, and one of them's a robot and then you're kind of like, like I said, I really, it was weird. The touchstone for me was like, oh, this reads like Jack Stanley, Jack Kirby comic, like updated by Hickman and Opinia. It was like, this kind of feels like a Roy Thomas, Marie Severin comic, like updated by Hickman and Opinia. And it was a, it's a completely different feel, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, a follow-up question. Do you think artists are given a, a appropriate question credit for a comics commercial success? Not often. Yeah. Um, I think so, I think in some cases they are. I think a lot of people gave, for example, uh, Brent Hitch credit over Mark Miller for the Ultimates. I think so, yeah. Um, and I think you see that a lot. I think Chris Samney and Paolo Rivera got credit over Wade mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. for Daredevil in a lot of cases. Right. Um, but not often. Right. I, I, I think the, the onus uh, is, is on the writer. A lot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I think overall, I would say that the that artists, yeah, are are given pretty short shrift um, overall. Uh, that being said, they can also pull down some pretty big paydays, um, uh, which doesn't really have any. Which is some weird indirect measurement of something. Uh, well, it, it may not be. It may reflect not critical acclaim, but audience acclaim. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's it. You're, you're I, I don't, you don't cry for them, Jeff. Is what right. you're saying. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I don't cry for them. I'm just saying that 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 there's a. So you do cry for them. I, <laughs> I do. How many tears <laughs> I have we? Jeff Lester, do you cry for Comic Con? <laughs> Answer: Yes or no. I just I do wonder, like. I, has there ever been a, a a line for a writer as long as there's been a, a line at a comic con for an artist? Oh, I'm sure there has been. I'm sure if like Grant Morris, I'm sure if Stan Lee showed up, Jeff. Well, okay, Stan Lee aside, do you think that a line for Grant Morrison would is is as big as a line for Jim Lee? Like as a general yeah, rule of thumb, probably. Hmm. Okay. But I think the number of writers that would be true for is far smaller than the number of artists. Okay, all right, fair enough. So yeah, so then you. That's that's so. I guess just something like that. There is this an awareness of the artist and their necessity, 
and they draw they can draw more fans and yet they I think are the first ones to be taken for granted um, while we're talking about artists I just want to say did you read some ten issue four yesterday I did not oh Jeff run don't walk to the comic store okay and pick it up do not buy it digitally because it will not be the same thing oh interesting Sometime issue four is the car chase issue Ooh. the rock guys talked about for a while mm. and it really is Matthew Southworth's issue hmm. he shines like a motherfucking star in this one huh uh, he does such a good job in large part because when the car chase is happening as in the cars are actually in motion mm-hmm. the comic turns on its side <laughs> and it's not just that the comic turns inside between pages mm-hmm. when they get in the car the artwork turns wow and then when they get out of the car it turns back <laughs> it's fucking spectacular hmm. really 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 great stuff and because the comic turns it means that your pages your double page spreads um, essentially are you know you have to turn the comic on the side right. so I feel like it just would not work digitally at all yeah it'd be especially strange. because there's one double page spread which is one image across the two pages wow. which will definitely not work because you'll literally only get the top half of an image Mm. Um, and it is it's just glorious it's a glorious looking comic it is it is a victory you mm. remember before I was like hey it's Matthew Sethworth's art's okay and then Ishito was like yeah it's kind of better and Ishito was like wow it's really gotten good right yeah he, is, he has become the star of this book huh. shoot it's really just like this is amazing I do not care that it took two years for this book to come together because this issue right <laughs> worth it Hmm. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's phenomenal. I look forward to checking that out and and hoping that uh, that is indeed the case. So yes, yes, people. Um, sometime issue four. If we're talking artists, hey, Alan Smith has a question for you, Jeff. Oh yes, question for both of us. But then he specifically has a question for you. Oh, question for both of us is: Why are you guys so negative on Mark Miller and Jim Shooter? Not trolling. I'm new to comics. Okay. Um. Because in many ways both had detrimental impacts on the industry, mm-hmm. and Miller to a far lesser extent than Shooter, uh, but Miller brought in a certain high concept glibness that could be read as a disdain for the audience, mm-hmm. um, and Shooter reads Marvel Comics: The Untold Story, and you'll kind of understand our, our suspicion about Jim Shooter. Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer. Okay. Uh, you, why are you okay with buying or using Apple products to read comics when that company has arguably a far worse attitude to labor relations and creator rights and worker rights than Marvel? Well, that is, uh, that's a pretty good question, Alan. Uh, the, I guess for me, what I would say is, is that there, there's the, there's a lot of groundwork to be covered in that arguable, uh, up until I would say like only maybe like a couple of weeks ago, um, I would have defined, uh, Apple's, um, far worse attitude to really be related to the workers' rights situation, which is about the actual, uh, workers on the assembly lines, uh, at the companies that, um, Apple contracts with to make iPhones. Um, and what I would say is there's a whole bunch of different 
biases that hopefully I'll go through super quick and be able to parse out. But, uh, but basically, those companies do not actually just do Apple products. Those companies actually assemble tablets for other hardware people. They assemble uh, other TVs, electronics, any degree of electronics that you have uh, in your home, and I admit I've got a, a chunk of them, um, have rolled through similar plants, similar situations, and similar workers' rights and conditions. Now, uh, recently, um, through online petitions at change.org, stories being covered at places like NPR and around, um, Apple has been presented with a PR debacle. And uh, although I feel that the only reason why they did what they did uh, was because they had to, Apple did actually um, several years before all of this became uh, uh, such a huge uproar, in fact, they were actually doing inspections of the plants and releasing those reports. They have come more forward with the degree of openness about it and under pressure from outside individuals. Um, they are responding. They're actually having outside auditing agencies that they're helping being able to look at these companies. So for me, the big thing is here was an outcry. Apple, in order to respond to the outcry, did some things. Now, they're not um, 100% perfect. They're far from it. They had an absolutely huge, huge surplus of money that they could have very easily invested to change dramatically the lives of the people working uh, on it, at those plants or at various levels. But Apple has, uh, you know, been in the Bay Area for a long time, and there's been a lot of people, not just a few, but a lot of people who, working through them, and I'm talking about software development people and stuff, have lived very good, strong lifestyles as a result of it. Uh, so, so I feel that Apple did what it was supposed to do, admittedly because it had to do, and it's one of the few that is actually being called on its shit. So, therefore, I think I feel okay supporting it by buying products when it responds to shit, as opposed to the vast, huge chunk of the electronics market that is using exact, absolutely, entirely the same workforce and the same labor people, and are not. Um, there is some pretty shitty conditions that are going to be coming uh, that go into the making of a Kindle Fire, I believe. And that's um, that's kind of a bummer. So contrast that for me with Marvel. Marvel actually is treats its people terribly. It has a ton of money. People have complained about it, and what has changed? Nothing has changed. Um, I admit, again, there's some weird kind of like, oh yeah, sure, but that's overseas and this is just New York. But, you know, the fact that there are people in New York who, if you read, you know, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, weren't allowed to use their computer for non-work-related reasons or only have one bathroom that they have to queue up for or have the air conditioning turned off for them in the summer when they're in the office. It's, that's pretty dicky shit. Um, I don't like that. It's one of those weird things where it's bad enough that they treat, treated the creators very badly. It would be like if Apple screwed the software people, but then also screwed the line production people. I just feel like everyone is being pretty, treated pretty badly under the Marvel machine. And it is, uh, it is, 
it's something that I felt really uncomfortable supporting. In fact, just talking about Marvel Comics, even though I'm not buying them and I'm not stealing from creators or anything, still feels like I worry sometimes that I'm supporting them too much that way. Okay. Dan Coyle asks, what do you think victory is for Steve Wacker? I would say my previous answer. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say Spider-Man sales figures. Yes, absolutely. What do you think of Spider-Man 699? Uh, I thought it was all right. I have to admit, I was kind of let down after the previous issue, I guess. <laughs> um, it was fine. I can I, see I, I, why I have nothing he... about it one way or another. I'm amused in the wrong way with um, Dan Slott's You people all have dirty minds. I'm definitely not hinting that Aunt May had sex with Doc Rock's puss mm-hmm. uh, thing on Twitter today, because, come on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it it was fine. It was pretty much exactly what everyone was expecting and felt a bit like filler before the next issue, I guess. Do you feel that uh, that slot has has to be like, holy shit, you people are going to poop your pants at issue 700? No, seriously, I absolutely promise you, you will be coming from my blood because 699 was such a, excuse me, competent but unsurprising reversal of the previous issue in terms of like, you know... Like, hey, he's an impossible situation. Hey, I'm showing you how he gets out, and here's how the game's set up. But you still got... You it, know. Felt, it felt like a misstep in that way, don't you think? Would you not rather have seen another issue of Doctor Octopus and Spider-Man being a dick and not knowing that all of that was going on, and then being surprised when uh, Peter came back? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's I, it, it felt like, another. I don't know. Yeah. It, it felt almost like second-guessing himself. See, Like he, he was trying to in case the reaction had been really negative mm. the previous issue, he's like, but he's okay. See, my theory is, and I could be wrong, is is that this this was written, these two issues were very much written for people like me who haven't read an Amazing Spider-Man comic in a long time. So I think last issue, where it was like, huh, he seems a little off, to, oh, it's not even him, to next issue, having a, having him go, like, no, seriously, here's Peter Parker, I know what Peter Parker's like, I get it. Like, on the one hand, it could be a defensiveness, but I also think that there was a little bit of uh i read the issue and i was kind of like oh i do like his peter parker i do want to read about this character you know and i think i think the the more obvious what would have been a more obvious route of kind of like showing you know peter parker you know i don't know not reassured yeah exactly you know of of seeing the the or the octavius spider-man just sort of like Cackling while he like Mary Mary Jane like goes and pops in the shower or something would have been a little too predictable, I think. Interesting. Are you excited for seven hundred? Um, uh, I don't. I can't really say. Not not especially. I mean, you know, it's kind of part of me's the the. I've learned the lesson of <laughs> nobody may send me that is you know that code. In which case, I'm not going to read it. Uh, so I think there's oh, a Jeff, I'll send you that code. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't. I don't mean it in a like listeners pity me. I just mean that it's kind of like honestly, I don't necessarily know if it's coming. So I don't know. It's like. I suppose I'd like to read it to see what happens, which I guess is the the idea of like what you're supposed to want when you look at comics. But but I don't think that I'm just like, oh my god, this is just going to go the most amazing place. Is part of me's you know sort of. I, I find it really hard to get there mm-hmm. because we're so used to oh my god, this is going a really amazing place. Six months later, it's all been undone. 
Mm-hmm. I find it very hard to have that moment of, oh, holy shit, um, about any long-running thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, which is actually interesting because I really had that for the, the Judge Dredd Cold Deck thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really had a, oh, I have no fucking idea where they're going. But part of that is Dredd has a history of just being like, here's the status quo. Okay, we kind of have just destroyed half of Mega City 1. Right. And we're not going to undo it, mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and and so that really was a, a like I had that moment of anything can happen, whereas Marvel or DC just don't anymore. Yeah, yeah, like anything. Oh, that's not true. Anything could happen, but it will almost certainly be undone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it's it's kind of like whatever happens in whatever it is that happens in Amazing Spider-Man seven hundred. Do I believe that it won't be? Peter Parker won't be Spider-Man by the time the next Spider-Man movie comes out. I don't believe that, you know. Exactly. So yeah. Or just think, how long is Peter Parker not going to be Spider-Man in any uh, Marvel comic? Right. Right. You know, really, that's not going to happen for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. I, I agree. That's probably not. But you know. Mm. So anyway, I, I guess the interest. I, I guess I'm not that interested. But I did enjoy the issue, although I didn't think it was. Yeah, it didn't really knock me out. So. And with that, my friend, I don't even think it's worth doing the next question because we are pretty much at our time limit. Oh really? Oh, I think you're right. Yes. Well, good news, everybody. <laughs> we have. We have. Uh, pretty much like 40 questions to do next week yeah exactly exactly and by the time it gets to next week who knows how many questions we're gonna have <laughs> we might just have to rush through them that's right throw some more in there it's uh it's the christmas gift that keeps on giving so uh, and let's face it people did you really think we're gonna get through this one episode because y- you know us yeah exactly those who know us know us but uh i don't know do you think we gave okay answers to the things we did i i I, ho- I hope so. I, I know. I I'm always so. like. I hope mm. we did enough for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> so next week, everyone, it's going yeah, to be. Next week, it's the last one. It's the apocalyptic wow. final episode of Wait What for 2012. Wow, that's amazing. And we're going to be answering questions. We maybe maybe we should make a very super small uh, holiday gift list for each of us. Like you know, like nine or ten titles we would of what, recommend. what we want? No, no, no. Yeah, of what you can buy me. But no, no, no. Just of like what we thought. I'm actually sort of embarrassed to do this because one of the things that Ray did strike me is looking at the various uh, best of lists in places that I've seen. Admittedly, like at Boing Boing, I was like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing talking about comics? I've barely heard of like, you know, a third of these titles. Um... And yet, there's part of me that still is kind of like, I'm willing to talk about the stuff that I've liked, and I'm always willing to try and mention it. Because there are things that are out there, people for people who are thinking of looking for holiday gifts that are comics for people. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff out there, and we should at least talk about a few of those, right? Sure. <laughs> you're like, you're oh, like you're sure. Right, the next podcast is going to come out like three days before for Christmas, right? Well, but that's always that's. There's never a better that's time to go buy your gift. to a comic book shop. Hey, that's when I do. Um, I was actually appalled by visiting my in-laws and seeing that not only did they have a tree up and it was decorated, but there were presents. Yeah, gifts up. underneath. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, I was like, yeah, I, I've I've not bought my gift yet, but I really am going to try and do it this weekend. Wow! 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 More power to you, Graham. I I have no well, idea. Well, part, partially because Kate has her gifts for you, for everyone, for everyone. Oh Kate God. has her, all of her gifts organized. 
Oh, God. I know, exactly. I, it's just, yet again, my wife shows me that I am doing it wrong. It's <laughs> meaning life. <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> yes, on that bombshell indeed. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope you're enjoying your holidays. 